welcome to Carmelite Conversations. Our last program in this series covered St. Teresa's teaching on ecstasies, raptures, flights of the spirit, spiritual betrothal, the gift of tears, and the prayer of jubilation. It was a lot. We covered a lot. Today, we are going to cover in part 10 of this series of this sixth mansion, chapters 7 through 9. And we are using the Interior Castle Study Edition by St. Teresa of Avila, translated and prepared by Kieran Cavanaugh, OCD. Uh, the second edition, published by ICS Publications. And it is with great joy that I welcome back to this Carmelite conversation my dear sister in Carmel, Teresa Rittenhouse. Hello, Teresa. How are you? Hello, Francis. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, we've been through a lot. We're deep in the heart of the sixth mansion, the sixth dwelling place. And we've covered many mystical graces. I'm so glad you're here to talk it over with me. <laughs> Learning of these graces, however, may make some souls feel a little badly because they now see how much time they've wasted and yet how much God wants to grow more intimate with them. But do not despair. <laughs> we have a prayer written by St. Teresa that will console us all. This is one of my favorite prayers. It's called Recovering Lost Time, or I've seen it published as Redeeming Lost Time, which I, I like that word, redeeming, very well. It's from the fourth soliloquy of St. Teresa of Avila. It's in her collected works. So, Teresa, do you mind leading us in this beautiful prayer? I would love to. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. It seems, my Lord, my soul finds rest in considering the joy it will have if through your mercy the fruition of yourself is granted it. But first it would want to serve you since it will be enjoying what you, in serving it, have gained for it. What shall I do, my Lord? What shall I do, my God? Oh, how late have my desires been enkindled. And how early, Lord, you were seeking and calling that I may be totally taken up with you. Do you perhaps, Lord, abandon the wretched or withdraw from the poor beggar when he wants to come to you? Do your grandeurs or your magnificent works, Lord, perhaps limit? Oh, my God and my mercy, how you can show them now in your servant. You are mighty, great God. Now it can be known whether my soul understands itself in being aware of the time it has lost and of how in a moment you, Lord, can win this time back again. It seems foolish to me, since they usually say lost time cannot be recovered. May you be blessed, my God. O oh Lord, I confess your great power. If you are powerful as you are, what is impossible for you who can do everything? Please, my Lord, give the order. Give the order, for although I am miserable, I firmly believe you can do what you desire. And the more I hear of your greater marvels and consider that you can add to them, the more my faith is strengthened. I believe with greater determination that you will do this. What is there to marvel at in what the Almighty does? You know well, my God, that in the midst of all my miseries, I never fail to acknowledge your great power and mercy. May that in which I have not offended you, Lord, help me. Recover, my God, the lost time, 
by giving me grace in the present and future, so that I may appear before you with the wedding garments. For if you want to, you can do so. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. I hope that was consoling to all of those who have tuned in to this podcast today. Wedding garments, yes, and how the greater marvels that she saw strengthened her faith. So although we are talking about many mystical graces, marvels, hopefully they (laughs) will strengthen your faith. And with her, we can pray, redeem our lost time, Lord, and prepare us with those wedding garments. Now, a little take from the past, you know, we typically do subtitles of the sixth mansion or whichever mansion we're discussing. Well, today I wanted to narrow that down and do subtitles for these particular chapters, chapters seven through nine of the sixth dwelling place. So, Teresa, what what would you call um, some of these subtitles for this section? While your eyes are on Christ, Christ beside me and the presence of Christ is felt. The centrality of the humanity of Christ, suffering over sins, God's communications to the soul and visions from God. All right. So that's a a good snapshot of what we're going to be talking about today. And to also help set the stage for today's conversation, there's this scripture from Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I really like that. Inherit the kingdom and that he has prepared it. There are other scripture passages where Jesus says, I, I, I go to prepare a place for you. And in this sixth mansion, the Lord, of course, is more intimately revealing those places, this kingdom, through special communications to the soul who is now espoused, betrothed to him. Because we talked about betrothal last month. And the Lord also gives the soul betrothal jewels, which we talked about last time, to prepare the soul to enter into the kingdom and spiritual marriage, which we will discuss when we talk about the seventh dwelling place or the seventh mansion. And as always, we like to take the petitions from the Our Father prayer and relate them to the king, the um, interior castle. And so we are still on this one incredible petition, thy kingdom come. We're still waiting for that to be realized (laughs) on earth, right? (laughs) And um, I came up with some other perspectives that I wanted to share on this. The soul, now betrothed to our Lord, has a very serious commitment to him and is now being given secrets and shown mysteries to prepare them for this pure union with the Lord in his kingdom. That's the heaven on earth. And of course, souls that are in um, the seventh mansion are living this out, even in this day. Now, I did pull a selection from St. Teresa's book, Way of Perfection. This is chapter 22, verse 2. Teresa, would you mind reading that quote from her? I think it's beautiful. Yes, this is beautiful. 
You are king forever, my God. Your kingdom is not a borrowed one. When in the creed, the words and his kingdom will have no end are said, it is almost always a special delight for me. I praise you, Lord, and bless you forever. In sum, your kingdom will last forever. I hope we too have a special delight as we hear that. Um, His kingdom will have no end. It will last forever. And then from St. Teresa's The Book of Her Life, this is chapter 37, verse 6. Teresa, would you mind reading that one too? Oh, my Lord. Oh, my King who now would know how to represent your majesty. It's impossible not to see that you in yourself are a great emperor, for to behold your majesty is startling. And the more one beholds along with this majesty, Lord, your humility and the love you showed to someone like myself, the more startling it becomes. Nevertheless, we can converse and speak with you as we like. Once the first flight and fear in beholding your majesty passes, although the fear of offending you becomes greater, but the fear is not one of punishment, for this punishment is considered nothing in comparison with losing you. It's interesting. This time around, I probably read Interior Castles <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> and and if you had asked me before um, reading it this recent time did Teresa use the word emperor I always said no she always called him his majesty you know that's that's what I focused on but here um she she says uh emperor now granted this is from the book of her life but she does use it in other circumstances and other places and and so this was the first time I'm like ah that's interesting so just a little nuance there that I think is important So, so far in the sixth dwelling place, when we covered chapters one through six, the first chapter of the sixth mansion was about the greater trials and greater favors. It was actually the hell on earth, right? (laughs) Everything that you can suffer here. Um, The wounds of love and increasing desires, we talked about in chapter two. In chapter three, we talked about locutions, and that's what the soul hears, either bodily or spiritually. The fourth chapter, we talked about raptures, transports, ecstasies, and spiritual betrothal, which is the engagement period. The fifth chapter was on the flight of the spirit. So the soul is seized and travels. And the last chapter, six, was discernment, gift of tears, and the prayer of jubilation. And... From our previous podcast, we discussed the mystical grace of rapture. And that is when the soul is spiritually betrothed. That's when it occurs in a rapture. As a result of spiritual betrothal, the soul has many responses. Teresa, would you mind sharing with us what the soul, how the soul responds to this grace of the spiritual betrothal? Well, in spite of being envied, praised, blamed, unjustly accused, maybe misunderstood, ridiculed, or struck with physical infirmities, 
These are all seen as opportunities to test the truth of the soul's promises and of her love. Well, that's a a really interesting perspective that I hope we can all keep in mind that when we are having these trials, that we should look at them as opportunities. We we can grow in virtue and it will show how committed we are to the Lord. It will help us strengthen the virtues um, and maybe even help catch souls for the Lord. Go ahead. Every obstacle is seen as an opportunity in the formation, and that's the forming of the soul, just like you said. Um, Everything gives a message of how God is working in, with, and through the soul. The soul sees these situations as openings or calls to be united more deeply with his love and his will. St. Teresa's attitude about trials and sufferings is that the father loves her so much so as to allow her to bear many burdens just like his son. She sees these events as opportunities to become more aware of God's action in her life. So, you know, we often, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we often think about, um, you know, as we grow in the interior castle, we grow in union with God. We're growing in our participation in his divinity. But sometimes we forget about we also grow in our participation in his humanity and his suffering. And to be like Christ is to be like him, both in his humanity and divinity. So to participate in him as both human and divine. And so here it's pointing out what a blessing it is to bear many, many burdens, because then you're more like Christ. And I think that's important for us to remember. Absolutely. This surrender leads to enhanced peace and patience in the midst of trials and sufferings. Um, We're starting to walk the way of the cross with joy um, because we see that this is joining us with his son, with Jesus. The gains and pains, the joys and sorrows, they're all signals of the Lord's call to a deeper intimacy. And this culminates in a yielding fully to God. The struggles of her soul to live in faith, hope, and love, in humility, detachment, and charity now seem of little consequence compared to the exquisite experience of interior transformation. And that's described in the sixth mansion. And we get that from Susan Muto, M-U-T-O in her book, Where Lovers Meet, Inside the Interior Castle. She has a nice approach, um, specific approach, a formational approach that is um, thread throughout that book of hers that I think is helpful to some people um, in understanding. And so, um, yes, this exquisite experience of interior transformation it is indeed exquisite and very transforming today um, we're going to continue our carmelite conversation on the sixth mansion focusing again now on chapter seven through nine now in chapter seven of the sixth dwelling place we're, we're discussing the suffering of the soul and the centrality of the humanity of Christ, which was very big for Teresa. 
So there are increased interior sufferings of the soul. What what would those be? Well, the the soul is suffering great longing for the Lord, desiring that union of spiritual marriage. There is a perpetual awareness of having offended God and sorrow for having done so. The scripture, my sin is before me always. And that was in uh, Psalms 51 of five. It seems like the sins are alive in the memory. And that is a heavy cross. Uh, There is a continual pain of the soul's past ingratitude and lack of respect toward God to whom the soul owes everything. So what's happening here is that it's not like the soul doesn't know and believe that God has forgiven them because they do. It's just that they're, it's the pain that they, now that they know who Jesus is and, you know, the Godhead is so much more revealed to them. They're seeing how horrible it was the least little sin, how horrible disfiguring of the soul it was and how it, it um, you know, it, it owed God everything. And God has been so good and so generous. And here, you know, the soul seeing its selfishness. And so it's so alive and it they can't seem to forget it. Right. Um, but it, it, in a, it's in a good way. It, I think it keeps the soul humble. Right. And Absolutely. it keeps and it. When you see a soul who is so grateful, they're always saying, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. Uh, That gratitude. I think that's an indication, a manifestation of a soul that sees the grievousness of their sin and how much they owe to God. Right. So now that leads to a couple questions for souls in the sixth mansion who receive these extraordinary mystical graces. The fear of hell seems to disappear, but the pain of their sins and ingratitude are sharpened. Now, why is that? Because you would think that since they've received these special graces, that they would have nothing to fear and no sins to weep over. But because now the soul is more cognizant and has experienced for himself God's great love and mercy and how much sin offends God and how ungrateful he's been to one whom it owes so much, the soul now feels sharper, deeper pain. So we hope we've clarified that so people understand. Teresa also tells us in this chapter, she says, suffering over one's sins increases the more one receives from our God. And for my part, I hold that until we are there where nothing can cause pain, this suffering will not be taken away. All right. Now, regarding favors in comparison to the sins, what does St. Teresa tell us? Well, these favors are like the waves of the large river and that they come and go. But the memory these souls have of their sins clings like a thick mire. It always seems that these sins are alive in the memory, and this is a heavy cross. No, it's um, no no surprise, right? That exactly that, that this is happening. But the general idea that people have is that the holier person becomes, 
the less painful these sins are, right? But it's just, it's not that way. It's the opposite. It's more painful. So now when you think about Jesus walking the earth, who was perfect, who was God, (laughs) hidden in his humanity, just think how much these sins hurt him. I remember reading um, The Mystical City of God, I think is by Mary of Agrita, venerable Mary of Agrita. And she's talking about Jesus's sensitivity and the spiritual sensitivity and how even the little things touched him so deeply. And and then you see, you know, the passion. Um, it, it just really opens your eyes to to what happens. You know, in our current cancel culture, which seems to be everywhere <laughs> and with such success, this awareness of sin seems to have been wiped out because we know sin darkens the soul. The soul no longer sees clearly. So many in the cancel culture um, are so covered in this mire that they can't see and they dulled themselves because they haven't approach the Godhead. So um, I thank God for all the Christians and all the mystics in particular um, who keep that sense of, of that sense of sin alive as they experience and see the contrast between God's love and our own sinfulness. So uh, there is a spark that keeps it alive because it is the truth and you can't snuff out truth, right? That's right. Okay. And like you said, I think that truly keeps us humble, you know, uh, shows us our place. Yes. All right. You know, in St. Teresa's day, it was a common practice to flee from corporeal things when the soul passed the beginning stages of prayer into higher grades of prayer. That means, um, you know, you would get away from anything that would involve the body and you would just want to think of spiritual things. You wouldn't want to think of saints. You wouldn't want to think of uh, uh, anything that was earthy. You wanted to just think of spiritual heavenly things. Um, Well, this was actually referred to as angelosity and St. Teresa. She strongly disagreed with this practice because she believed it was of great importance to meditate on the mysteries of the most sacred humanity of Christ. And this was huge, huge for all Catholicism as well. She herself had an experience of getting caught up in absorption, you know, caught up in the feelings. And she realized she was on the wrong path. And so no matter where we are in the castle, whatever grade of prayer that we are currently in, St. Teresa tells us that we must keep our attention focused on the humanity of Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And what does she tell us? Now, this is from her book, The Way of Perfection. Would you mind reading that quote for us? Oh, Lord, how true that all harm comes to us from not keeping our eyes fixed on you. If you were to look at nothing else but the way, we would soon arrive. But we meet with a thousand falls and obstacles and lose the way because we don't keep our eyes, as I say, on the true way. It seems so new to us that you would think we had never walked on it. It's certainly something to excite pity. 
that which sometimes happens. I think she is very clear there. <laughs> so let's point out, though, some more of her arguments in opposing this angelosity and promoting the centrality of the humanity of Christ. Because this is very important instruction for all of us um, in this day as well as her day. So would you share with us um, some of her other arguments? While to be always withdrawn from corporeal things and enkindled in love is the trait of angelic spirits, not of those who live in mortal bodies. It's necessary that we speak to, think about, and become the companions of those who having had a mortal body accomplished such great feats for God. How much more is it necessary not to withdraw through one's own efforts from all our good and help, which is the most sacred humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot believe that these souls do so, but they just don't understand, and they will do harm to themselves and to others. At least I assure them that they will not enter these last two dwelling places, for if they lose the guide, who is the good Jesus, they will not hit upon the right road. So let us let us focus on this. If you decide not to focus on the humanity of Christ throughout your prayer life, then she says you will not enter the last two dwelling places. So you'll be stuck in the fifth mansion or below. You will not gain entrance into the sixth or seventh mansion. And that's sad. So I'm really glad she laid out these arguments because I think they're pretty persuasive. And, and these are quotes that we have pulled from chapter seven of the interior castle for the sixth mansion. Go ahead and, and give us her further arguments, please. The Lord himself says that he is the way he is the light and that no one can go to the father, but through him and anyone who sees me sees the father. So Jesus, he's laid that out. But I say that a person will not be right if he says he does not dwell on these mysteries or often have them in mind, especially when the Catholic Church celebrates them. And what she's pointing at is that some people are saying, well, I, I can't pray discursive prayer anymore. I can't use my intellect and think through these points. I and, and she couldn't either. So <laughs> no surprise. Uh, she, so she understands this. And what she's saying is, you, you know, you don't have to have these, you know, uh, methodical discursive points of thought in your prayer. You can just embrace that whole mystery all together and and uh, glance at this mystery and and have. You already have the knowledge, so it's just a rekindling of that whole impression together because in higher degrees of prayer, you, you can't do discursive meditation like you had done before. And yet uh, people were using this as an argument to not focus on the humanity of Christ, why we should just be like, you know, doing angel uh, angelosity. Right. So she's saying, but the church even celebrates these mysteries. It's it's in scripture all through it. So uh, how important it is for us to remember this. And then she has a final uh, couple quotes there. What does she say? 
Life is long and there are in it many trials and we need to look at Christ as our model, how he suffered them and also at his apostles and saints so as to bear these trials with perfection. Jesus is too good a companion for us to turn away from him and his most blessed mother. And he is very pleased that we grieve over his sufferings, even though we sometimes leave aside our own consolation and delight. Great advice. Great arguments. And then we're adding this one more quote. And this is from the book of her life, where St. Teresa is talking about the method of keeping Christ present. So share that with us, please. This method of keeping Christ present with us is beneficial in all stages and is a very safe means of advancing in the first degree of prayer, of reaching in a short time the second degree, and of walking secure against the dangers the devil can set up in the last degrees. Keeping Christ present is what we of ourselves can do. All right, so hopefully we've made it so clear through Teresa's arguments how keeping Christ present in our prayer life is very, very important and something we are quite capable of no matter what degree of prayer we are in, right? So St. Teresa, she's explaining how souls at any stage of the spiritual life may keep the humanity of Christ in mind in prayer. I just want to reiterate that even if the soul can no longer do discursive meditation or ponder details about Christ's life, they can still dwell on the mysteries of Christ's life with a simple gaze, representing truths to the intellect by means of the memory. These thoughts then will be like living sparks, she says, to enkindle our love for the Lord. And, you know, St. Teresa found that looking at Christ and being aware that he is looking at us and speaking and listening to him were most helpful in meditative prayer. It's more of a prayer of heart than of the mind. I think this is why she always carried a statue of of Jesus with her. She especially liked the wounded head of Jesus. Um, And, you know, she's looking at Jesus and spiritually she's looking at him. Um, even though this is a, you know, an earthly statue, you know, she has used the statue like St. John of the Cross teaches us to to reach the spiritual reality. And just, you know, thinking of her looking at that statue and then thinking of God, God spiritually, thinking of the Jesus spiritually and him looking back at her and then, you know, talking with him, conversing with him and listening. Um, that's important. You know, the Discalced Carmelite friar, Father Kieran Cavanaugh, who who did the um, preparation and the translation of this study edition, um, he wrote the interpretive notes in this study guide edition, and he made this point, which I, I wanted to pull out. He says, this Christ-centeredness that we find in Teresa means that for her, The faith and Christian life are not founded in abstractions or in philosophies, but on the special existence of a historical person who is called Jesus Christ. He is the center of our life, which is a life in Christ. Without him, the Christian life loses its meaning. Grace, life, salvation, 
All these we receive from Jesus in a descending flow from him to us, but also in the entire process of the Christian life. In all its stages and manifestations, we ascend through him to the Father. In him is realized and accomplished our union with God. Through him are received the highest graces of sanctity. I thought that was such a compact statement. You could be pondering that for a long time. So I think it's very clear how important it is to keep the humanity of Christ present in our prayers and meditations. So we do well to seek God's presence, to walk continually with Christ. And St. Teresa would tell us that even though we may not be able to pray discursively, just just the mere sight of the Lord falling on the ground, you know, when you're thinking about the way of the cross, is enough to last the intellect many days while it looks with a simple gaze at he who is and how ungrateful we have been for so much suffering. So if we set aside the humanity of Christ, that's a dangerous path. And St. Teresa tells us that the devil could make one lose devotion for the most blessed sacrament this way. I wonder how many people have fallen away from devotion to the blessed sacrament because they've, they've decided not to ponder the life of Christ, his humanity. Ah, that's something to really consider. So take time out to delight in the presence of Christ, Christ, not to think much, but to love much. That's what Teresa tells us, not to think much, but love much. So, you know, it doesn't depend on your intellect, right? But it does depend on your love. So keep Christ present within through faith. Okay, now we are going to move on to chapter eight in the sixth dwelling place. This is a chapter that talks about the councils on intellect, on the intellectual vision of Christ's presence at St. Teresa's right side. And she talks in the third person like it's another person, but it was really her who had this experience. But I want to do a quick review about supernatural visions. And so, um, Teresa, would you start us off here? Um, because the, to have this fresh in our memory as we go into these other details, I think will be very helpful. Well, there's three main types, bodily, imaginative, and intellectual visions. And so the bodily or the corporal visions or apparitions, both those are seen and those are able to touch suddenly all at once seen with the bodily eyes. And it may be a sensible or luminous form. Um, it's seen with the eyes through the senses, and it's the least reliable of all the visions. And St. Teresa, um, she never experienced any of these. Um, so then there's the imaginative visions. They're seen with the eyes of the soul and with the internal sense of imagination. It's produced in the imagination by God or by the angels either during sleep or while you're awake. They are very concrete living images with a great infusion of brilliance. Radiance is present within them. And the imaginary visions are often accompanied by the intellectual visions. Now, she says these are superior to the corporal or bodily visions. They're not produced by any human effort. They're not imagined by the person, but 
perceived by their inner senses. It gives a particular knowledge of God. The soul is instructed in many truths. And the image is alive. It's not stagnant. The image appears quickly like a lightning strike. Uh, when you try to gaze on the image longer, that's when the vision disappears. There is no control over this vision. When the vision ceases, the soul feels very much alone. And the vision may be of Jesus, the Blessed Mother, or an, even a saint. The vision prepares the soul to become a better servant. The vision remains engraved upon the memory. Um, the soul is left in peace and calm. And the vision leaves that certitude in the soul that it is divine. It is given from God. The vision leaves the soul in deeper humility and fortitude. All right. In that third class, then, the intellectual vision, that's a, a clear, true perception of the presence of God acting. Um, an example from St. Teresa is her not seeing, but being conscious of Christ at her right side. I always thought it was interesting that she she told us which side, the right side. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think there's something there, right? <laughs> I do. I really do. But anyway, this is different from the experience of the presence of God in the prayer of union or the prayer of quiet. And, you know, some people, when they write about this, they talk about this sense of, you know, Christ's presence beside them and how quickly that transferred to Christ present within. Of course, by faith, we know that Christ is present within. What we're talking about here with Christ present on her right side is something more palpable, um, a special, extraordinary grace, not just a faith stance. OK, so that's important. So what how do we know? What uh, you know, describe this intellectual vision for us, Teresa. While they're more superior to the other visions, they are the best and least susceptible to falsehood. Um, they are vision seen by the intellect alone, not through the senses, which can be easily deceived. Uh, they may come unannounced, the soul does not desire them. The vision is a simple mental intuition of some truth or, or mystery. The soul may feel our Lord near them without actually seeing him. There is no doubt about this vision. There is a certitude that it's from God. It does not pass quickly and it may last several days or even years. I and love that. In particular, <laughs> she uh, that description is talking about this experience of Christ at your side okay because I don't think all intellectual visions last for years but this particular one about Christ at your side she says and it did for her so yes um an ecstasy may accompany the intellectual vision and the soul may have an imaginative vision along with an intellectual vision and the vision helps the soul to constantly remember God. Well, if you feel the presence of Jesus next to you, <laughs> there is no way you can forget that he's with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, then, and so now we get into some greater detail about intellectual visions. 
um, the types, these pure intellectual visions, these visions of spiritual substances or revelations. There's an absence of image, right? And an intellectual vision. So there's nothing seen. Um, and it not necessarily heard, right? It's, it's not with the, any of the internal or uh, external senses. Um, I think it's more of an infusion of, of sense of a truth. Um, and they're very sublime. And the mind perceives a spiritual truth or idea about the angels or God or his attributes without the aid of sensible impressions, like we said. And, for example, St. Teresa had a vision of the Holy Trinity. And people are like, well, how can you do that? Well, read, read her works and you'll find out more. <laughs> I think she does a lot of descriptions in her um, spiritual testimonies. So if a person is interested to get to some fast um, information on that uh, and descriptions of St. Teresa's experiences, I would look at her spiritual um testimonies well so we we understand that uh these um intellectual visions are very difficult to describe and you can tell because i'm having a difficult time describing them and i've been through this book many many times saint Teresa is really much better <laughs> and i'm hoping i'm doing her some honor by trying to share what she's teaching uh, she she tries to share something of the admirable reality of what she contemplates. And again, these intellectual visions are the safest from any kind of deception from the evil one. So you can have visions of spiritual substances, visions of hidden or future events. So you get a lot of prophetic information here, visions of the divine attributes and of the soul itself. Visions of the Holy Trinity, like I said, with Teresa. And, you know, that is also um, one of the visions that a soul gets as it enters into Seventh Mansion, which we'll talk about um, in the future. And, and this is before the grace of spiritual marriage. And then, of course, you have the, the mix, which we've kind of alluded to, of the imaginative and the intellectual elements. So looking at the weakness or apparent holiness of a person is no way ju to judge a person or the authenticity of the visions. So just because uh, they're having these kind of visions doesn't mean that they're more holy than others and does not indicate whether it is true or not. These All these things need careful discernment. And the important things are that the love of God and the desire to serve and and to avoid displeasing God are present along with the soul's conviction that the vision is of divine origin. And, of course, we've talked many other ways to discern, so it's important. So now we're going to go forward into that chapter 8 about Jesus accompanying St. Teresa at her right side. So this chapter now focuses on how God communicates himself to the soul through an intellectual vision of the mystical presence of Christ which St. Teresa experienced. It also points out the effects of such an experience, as well as St. Teresa's counsels regarding this type of vision. So she gets right to the point. What does she tell us about this? Well, the further a soul advances, the more it is accompanied by the good Jesus. 
This is an effect of habitual infused contemplation. And that's our comment on what she just said. <laughs> she, <laughs> we, we know that it, when you habitually practice prayer and you're called into this grace of infused contemplation, the more you advance, Teresa tells us, the more you advance, the more you're accompanied by the good Jesus. And then she continues. When his majesty desires, we cannot do otherwise than always to walk with him. This is evident in the ways and modes by which his majesty communicates himself to us and shows us the love he bears us. He does this through some very wonderful apparitions and visions. And isn't it just like someone who's in love to want to give more to the beloved, right? It's a two-way street. God is loving the soul, and as a response, the soul responds in love as well. And it's normal, and we see it in marriages and and in uh, the love that is shown to each other. You know, I think it's very consoling to realize that the Lord wants to be closer to us, not just us wanting to be closer to him. And like I said, the you know, married couples, engaged couples, you know, they're always desiring each other, especially those who are headed toward marriage. You know, they they want to be with each other and they always surprising each other. They're searching for ways to show their love and and protect the other person um, to look out for each other. And, And this is the way God is treating the soul at this time as well. He is also protecting it more from any kind of evil attack unless he sees that that attack will strengthen a virtue or provide more glory. Um, And so, you know, all is done with purpose. God knows exactly what's best for us. So in this chapter, um, chapter eight of the sixth dwelling place, St. Teresa tells us about this special intellectual vision. And this is how she described it. It will feel Jesus Christ, our Lord, is beside it. Yet it does not see him either with the eyes of the body or with those of the soul. (laughs) Okay, so she didn't see him, but she knew without a doubt it was him. Now, we know in the fifth mansion, we talked about when a soul experienced the prayer of union, there was a certitude that was given with that experience. So here again, certitude. She felt Jesus present at her right side, not because she could see him because she couldn't, because this was much more delicate and subtle. She said that this type of vision may last many days or even more than a year, and it did for her. But now how did she know it was Jesus? And that's the question the priest asked her. And she said she recognized his voice when he spoke. So what happened is she felt this presence, and then eventually he did speak. And she had heard his voice before in locutions. So now having this presence of Jesus beside her and now him speaking to her the same voice so she can associate it and know that it is the Lord. So um, it's pretty amazing. And I just love that Teresa catches all these details to share with us, to help us glorify the Lord, praise the Lord for how he's revealing 
himself, how he's communicating to souls. It, you know, this is another example of the reality of God, right? Acting in souls. And this is uh, just so amazing to me. So now I want to talk about, and I'm hoping Teresa will tell us some of the effects of this type of intellectual vision. Well, first, there was the certitude that it was the Lord and not something she imagined on her own. So I love that, that she was now certain, you know, that the voice was Jesus and that Jesus was there with her. And she does. Um, I think she makes that clarification because she does know that some people use their own imagination to create these type of sensations to think that they had these experiences when it was just them creating it in their head. She's talked about that in many of the mansions before. Um, So she's just reiterating that in a special sense right now. And the soul is strengthened and is so happy over such good company. Wouldn't we all be strengthened and happy? (laughs) Um, It was very helpful in habitually remembering God. And it helped her to have a deep concern about avoiding anything displeasing to him. Just imagine if you if you felt his presence beside you. Wouldn't you be much more on guard and because you love him and you want to receive his love, you you are paying attention to what he wants. You're doing his will. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. What a great what a great blessing this favor is. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, I just get giddy thinking about it because I can't imagine how she would felt the joy of walking with our Lord. And then, like you said, loving him and not ple- not displeasing him in what she did or said. And this I was mean, a, and this was a reality, a, a, a certitude about his presence. It wasn't her imagination, and that's just amazing. Yes, what a grace! What a wonderful grace! <laughs> <laughs> she felt the Lord was so near her that he could not fail to hear her speak, whether in prayer or outside of prayer. So, yes, he was listening to everything that she said and did. Um, The soul goes about with much peace and with continual desires to please God. And the soul also has great contempt for everything that does not bring it to the Lord. Um, Human effort could not produce this kind of experience. The favor bears with it a particular knowledge of God. And this continual companionship helps the soul to develop a most tender love for him. The soul then surrenders oneself totally to the Lord's service. The virtue of purity increases greatly because the presence of the Lord at its side makes the soul pay attention to everything. (laughs) The soul thinks it is more obligated to the Lord than anyone as a result of this favor. And the humility of the soul increases with the soul, thinking that it is the one who serves God the least among all who are in the world. So there's that humility. And any fault of the soul causes him extreme distress. And once this intellectual vision of his presence is taken away, the soul feels very alone. 
So, you know, it's it's no surprise that we have such joy talking about this mystical favor of, of Christ's presence at her right side, how beautiful it was. And when you think about all those wonderful effects, then when it's gone, you're like, oh, don't leave me, Jesus. And, the, and so it just increases the desire to get back to your beloved, right? increases that desire for spiritual marriage and it reminds us once again we're living on earth and our heavenly home is in heaven so she still had work to do on earth (laughs) (laughs) i'm so glad she wrote all these things so just thank you god that saint Teresa shared all this with us so of course Teresa tells us that these favors should be highly esteemed and we do highly esteem these favors and that the soul should strive to perform greater services for God. You know, here she had such energy in, in making all these foundations. I believe there were 17 foundations. I mean, that was a lot of work, especially when you had to go by a mule or a carriage and you didn't have gas powered cars, right? Well, so, but, but the Lord is helping the soul in all of these services. So you're putting the mind of Christ on. You're, you're allowing Christ to take over. You're letting Christ to increase and yourself to decrease. So it's like, Lord, take over. And he is, right? <laughs> well, in the book of her life, St. Teresa gives us another description of this intellectual vision. Could you read that for us, please? The vision is represented through knowledge given to the soul that is clearer than sunlight. I don't mean that you see the sun or brightness, but that the light without your seeing light illumines the intellect so that the soul may enjoy such a great good. The vision hears with its wonderful blessings. Oh, All the right. vision bears. I am sorry. <laughs> the vision right. bears. The vision bears. Wonderful <laughs> blessing. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, how can we be sure, though, that this vision, this whatever sensation, you know, what experience, okay, let's call it experience. How can we be sure this experience is not from the devil? What does Teresa tell us? Well, it would be impossible for a vision caused by the devil to last so long. And the benefit the soul so remarkably, clothing it with so much interior peace. You know, the devil brings, wreaks havoc, you know, and chaos. So um, she reminds us that um, it brings such peace. Right. It is not customary for something so evil to do something so good. Nor can the devil, even though he may want to. (laughs) (laughs) He sees that only the soul would be the benefit, would gain greater holiness, greater virtue. So he's like, I can't do that. I don't want him to get closer (laughs) to the Lord. (laughs) And if he could, there would be at once some outward show of self-esteem and the thought of being better than others. And there's that humility, you know, that ego. Right. So, and Teresa's always saying humility, humility, humility. <laughs> absolutely. And if the Lord permits the soul to be tempted by the devil, it is for the benefit of the soul. The Lord will ordain, ordain that the evil one will be defeated. So, so. just just like, um, you know, an engaged couple, you know, you're going to protect each other. 
If you see something threatening coming, you're going to do everything in your power to protect them. Or if you see an opportunity to lift them up and to praise the work of the Lord in your your beloved, you know, you're going to do that too. So, so, so does the Lord, right? I think the analogy of marriage was such a perfect way of describing these uh, progression in the spiritual life. But as in other mystical favors, the soul should always speak to their confessor or their spiritual director or a learned person. That means a person um, that has some intellectual training as well read on this subject or a spiritual person. And what she means by that is someone who has personally gone through some of these experiences because having gone through them, they have a, a greater understanding and that will help the soul to better um, discern the authentic authenticity. That's a big word. Authenticity of these experiences. So uh, as always, a great deal of discretion is necessary. You don't go blabbing to everybody around you <laughs> about these things. You need to be discreet. And, um, you know, sometimes it's when you, like in St. Therese um, of Lisieux, when she received the smile of Our Lady, she said, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody. And yet her sister caught on something big happening. This <laughs> healed her, right? She received the smile of Our Lady. This was when she was 10 years old and she was having all these issues, um, mental issues. And uh, they were praying so hard for her. And she received the smile of Our Lady. It was Our Lady of Victory, a statue that that family honored. And so her her other sister was beside her and knew something happened. So she convinces Therese to tell her all about it. So Therese obliges her and tells her and then now we got to take it over to the comment tell the other sister and now the uh, it spreads it spreads and now they are all asking therese questions you know what was it like what was she wearing was she holding the baby jesus <laughs> and so now she's starting to doubt her experience you know so it was a problem sharing it you know some things are meant for the soul alone and some things are meant to be shared Thankfully, St. Teresa of Avila did do a lot of sharing, and the Lord used her as a teacher. And that's why she's called a doctor of the church, because she's teaching the universal church about these things. And there wasn't anyone really talking about all of this at these higher levels of prayer during her day. So we are great beneficiaries of this experience and knowledge that St. Teresa was given um, by the Lord. We thank God for that. And we thank Teresa for her yes to the Lord. So now here's another question. And I think we've alluded to this, but let's be sure that we've got this down. <laughs> Are souls who receive these mystical favors holier than others who do not receive them? No, they are not necessarily holier. The Lord leads souls as he sees fit. And sometimes the weakest souls are led along this way. Okay, so um, then how do we discern who is the holiest? Well, and St. Teresa tells us, one should consider the virtues and who it is who serves our Lord with greater mortification, humility, and purity of conscience, this one who will be the holiest. So it's not the mystical favors a soul receives. Um, it's 
the Catholic Church, and of course, has that long process of discerning whether a soul should be canonized as a saint. And, and it's no surprise um, how thorough they are in learning about this person who's been presented um, for beatification or canonization. So just because they might have a very, um, you know, been known for these extraordinary gifts doesn't mean they're the holiest. So it's by their fruits that you will know them, right? By the love that they have for God and their neighbor, okay? All right, that leads us to our final chapter for this conversation, for this series um, of chapter nine of the sixth dwelling place. And this is about the image of Christ engraved in the memory. So uh, this is um, treating about the way the Lord communicates with the soul through an imaginative vision. Remember, we Teresa uh, gave us uh, uh, a review of all of the different um, favors, uh, bodily, imaginative, or intellectual vision. So this is an imaginative vision, but it's particularly of an image in, of Christ engraved in the memory. And, of course, this is another way the bridegroom, the Lord, captivates the bride, which is the soul, and wins over her love. Um, St. Teresa gives us analogy here. Can you tell us about this analogy that she uses to describe this? Well, she uses um, a gold vessel, a reliquary, with a precious stone inside of it with the highest value and curative powers. She goes on that the soul will benefit from it as long as the soul carries it within himself, even though it has never seen inside the gold reliquary. Now, if the owner of the reliquary decides to unlock it for us, we will get a glimpse of what's inside. And here's the the imaginative vision, the glimpse. The the imaginative vision that St. Teresa refers to is is like this analogy when it happens that our Lord is pleased to give more delight to the soul by showing himself. So again, um, engaged couples, they're revealing more of their depths to their beloved. And here the Lord is giving a glimpse, but it, you know, it being the Lord <laughs> and the kingdom, it's very powerful, right? So let's hear what a description of this particular imaginative vision um, is like. Well, the Lord clearly shows the soul his most sacred humanity in the way he desires. And this vision happens quickly, like a streak of lightning. And when the soul least expects it. So once again, we don't bring this on ourselves. Right. This glorious vision remains engraved in the imagination, in the memory. It's not like a painting. But the figure of Christ is truly alive. Sometimes the Lord speaks to the soul, revealing great secrets. And the brilliance of his inner vision is like that of an infused light coming from a sun covered by something as transparent as a properly cut diamond. The garments seem made of a fine Dutch linen. That's interesting. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how Teresa particularly says that? I mean, yes, 
I guess he must have been acquainted with Dutch linen, but you're like, wow, I, you know, now it makes me want to look up Dutch linen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and it, it means that such detail, Oh, you yeah. know, she did see the detail in that. And um, even though it was a glimpse, it was so quick, she still knew these details. That's amazing. Yes. Good point. It, absolutely. Almost every time God grants this favor, this favor, the soul is in a rapture. And wouldn't we all be? (laughs) (laughs) The presence of the Lord bears extraordinary majesty. And it is clearly revealed that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And this experience is so powerful that it carries that person out of its senses. And that is a wonderful rapture. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed it is. All right. So, you know, in a snapshot, that's that's what this imaginative vision of Christ now engraved in the memory. So that they will not forget this. And and they didn't conjure it up themselves. They didn't use their imagination to come up with this. This was clearly given and infused engraved i like that not just infused but engraved into the memory so the effects left in the soul after this imaginative vision is that the the soul is left instructed by so many great truths that's what Teresa is telling us so your knowledge uh, of the truths are vastly increased the soul is left with a great certitude again that the favor is from god and the soul is left in joyful peace, right? Like you said earlier, Teresa, the devil's signs are confusion, chaos, division, and all of that. And here, we, when we think of the Lord, we think of peace, humility, joy, simplicity, detachment, Absolutely. right? Freedom, <laughs> true freedom. Yes. <laughs> all right. Now, St. Teresa finishes this chapter by telling us why we shouldn't desire these favors. Now, so hearing about them, you're, you're like, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to express it? And it would, but to desire them, hmm, there's something not right about desiring them. And she gives us six different reasons why it's inappropriate to desire these favors. We thank God for these favors. We thank God that he reveals himself to souls through these favors that we get a fragrance of him through the witness of these souls who experience these, but we are not to desire them. So tell us what Teresa says about these six reasons why not to desire these wonderful favors. And this first one is the best. The first desire to be given what you have never deserved shows a lack of humility. I believe that these favors will never be given to those who desire them because before granting them, God gives a deep self-knowledge for how will he who has such desires understand in truth that he is being granted a very great favor at not being in hell. So second, Such a person will very certainly be deceived or in great danger because the devil needs nothing more than to see a little door open before playing a thousand tricks on us. Mm -hmm. 
So if he sees that we want something <laughs> that we're not prepared for, he can come in and truly trip us up. And I, I'm thinking of uh, when one of the popes said that the smoke of Satan has entered the church. There was a crack and the smoke entered in. And oh, boy, now he's creating all kinds of problems. And we're seeing evidence of that in our day and age. So we've got to keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop. Absolutely. And third, the imagination itself, when there is a great desire, makes a person think that he sees what he desires and hears it, as with those who desiring something during the day and thinking a great deal about it will happen to dream about it at night. Um, we just need to be aware that if we're truly concentrating on something or desiring something through the day, we can... Uh, put that in our dreams and our things, thoughts at night. So that's where that discernment comes in at too. I think Teresa's all is trying to point out the reality of these extraordinary favors versus what people can use their imaginations or their feelings to create. Uh, it's a big distinction and it's important for us to always bear that in mind. And fourth, it would be extremely bold to want to choose a path while not knowing what suits me more. Such a matter should be left to the Lord who knows me, for he leads me along the path that is fitting, so that in all things I might do his will. You know, he knows us best, and that's what we keep our uh, our eyes on, on his will. Fifth. Do not think that the trials suffered by those to whom the Lord grants these favors are few. No, they are extraordinary and of many kinds. And how do you know you would be able to bear them? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not to be envious as of anyone. We're to celebrate those that that can carry this cross and these graces. Um, and And they're for our inspiration, you yeah. know. And I think that when um, Saul is experiencing these favors, uh, an indication that they are from God is that the soul has suffered a great deal as well. And if there are the and of course, God can operate any way he wants. But in general, I think there are, you know, false mystics who are, ha who are pretending about these kind of favors. And. So you look for humility, you look for suffering in their life and virtue. And, you know, that's a, a good way to discern the, if this is, you know, authentic or not. Absolutely. And the sixth way, by the way you think, you will gain. You will lose as Saul did by being king. So, so. Um, I think these six points are important. Um, because when you read about these things, you, you do have this sense of desiring them. And then so Teresa is, you know, helping us to get back in the right perspective that having knowledge of this helps us to praise the Lord and to thank him for drawing souls closer to him and revealing the way he communicates to souls. So the reality of God in our in our lives, that he is for real, um, but that. We are to remain humble and trusting that the Lord knows what is best for us. So instead of desiring certain mystical pathways for ourselves, 
All we should be desiring is to love him with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, right? Which is scriptural, right? Absolutely. Well, St. Teresa concludes with this wonderful quote. And this is from the ninth chapter, the sixth dwelling place, paragraph 16. And I thought it was so important um, that I thought that it would be good for us to hear this quote. So, Teresa, would you mind reading this quote from Teresa for us? In some, besides these reasons, there are others. Believe me, the safest way is to want only what God wants. He knows more than we ourselves do, and he loves us. Let us place ourselves in his hands so that his will may be done in us. And we cannot err if with a determined will we always maintain this attitude. And you must note that greater glory is not merited by receiving a large number of these favors. Rather, on the contrary, the recipients of these favors are obliged to serve more since they have received more. The Lord doesn't take away from us that which, because it lies within our power, is more meritorious. So there are many holy persons who have never received one of these favors and others who receive them but are not holy and do not think the favors are given continually. Rather, for each time the Lord grants them, there are many trials. Thus, the soul doesn't think about receiving more, but about how to serve for what it has received. Wow, we've covered an immense amount of material. However, we we both know that we have left much out, right? (laughs) It was hard to narrow it down. So we highly recommend that everyone who's listening to this podcast this series that they consult the original source and read all the chapters in full because there are nuggets there and different things will strike your heart at different times so now we'd like to do a a closing prayer Um, and we had a couple options but I think the one from the book of her life um, from Saint Teresa is um fitting for this moment in time. So, Teresa, I want to ask you, would you please lead us in a closing prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, my Lord, how good you are. May you be blessed forever. May all the things praise you, my God, for you have so loved us that we can truthfully speak of this communication, which you engage in with souls, even in our exile. And even in the case of those who are good, this still shows great generosity and magnanimity. In fact, it is your communication, my Lord, and you give it in the manner of who you are. O infinite largest, how magnificent are your works. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Teresa, my dear Carmelite comrade. Thank you for joining me again in this Carmelite conversation. And I want to thank you listeners for joining us. Our next podcast in this series will cover the final chapters of the sixth dwelling place, chapter 10 and 11. It is amazing that there were 11 chapters on this mansion, by far the most of all of the mansions. 
So um, we will get to the final chapters of The Sixth Dwelling Place in our next podcast in this series. If you've missed any of the episodes on the interior castle and would like to catch up, we invite you to um, go to www.carmeliteconversations.com, where you may also leave us some comments. We're always enjoying uh, hearing from you. And we thank those of you who have made comments. You inspire us and you help us to continue working on putting these together. Um, uh, when you tell us that they're meaningful for you, it, it helps us to know we're, we're on the right path doing the Lord's work as best we can. And when God shows us the fruits through your comments, we are um, uplifted and encouraged to continue. So thank you so much. So may Teresa of Avila intercede for all of us. I have her first class relic here with me. So I'm sending out a spiritual blessing from St. Teresa in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to all who are listening to this podcast at any time. May God bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. We look forward to your joining us again. Meanwhile, keep the faith, keep your eyes on Christ, (laughs) and keep praying. God bless.